0: Praise God. Are we good? Back on track. All right. So the reason that I brought this up about being made in his image is that how many of you guys know that God doesn't get sick? God doesn't have any disease in his body. God obviously doesn't die. And we were made to be like God. We were made to live forever. We were made to not have sickness. We were made not to have disease. God made us perfect and Adam, before the fall, there was none of those things. And we'll look at that in a few minutes, when that all started. But the first thing that we have to notice is that this is how we were made. We were made not to be sick. We were made to live and tend his garden and be in perfect health. Amen? And then he goes on to say, in Genesis 128 through. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was good, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. First, the thing that I want to point out here as we continue to go is that God created everything, right? And what does he say? It was very good. How many of you in your entire life have went, man, cancer is awesome. I mean, diabetes, whew, that's some good stuff. Anybody ever thought that way about those things? Because they're not good. Sickness is not good. When, when, when God created the heavens and the earth, there was no sickness. He looked at what he had created, and it was, it was very good. And I think we can be safe to assume that if, if God said it was good, then it was good. And we know that sickness isn't good. So that at this point, at this time, there's no sickness on the earth. There's no death on the earth. There's no disease on the earth. There's none of this stuff. And then something else that he said that I find interesting is up here, it says, he tells to Adam and Eve, he says, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God had given Adam and Eve the authority to subdue, to have dominion over everything on the earth. They were in charge. They had the ability to, to cause it to do what it needs to be done. Now, if you were Adam and Eve and there was sickness on the earth, we would all agree that that's not good. It wasn't a, a something that they had an eureka moment a little while later. and am like, wait a minute, this isn't good. We all know that sickness isn't good. If they had dominion over it, don't you think they would have dealt with it right then? They could have just commanded it not to be. They had complete control over everything on the earth. If sickness were there, why not get rid of it? And I'd say the reason why is because it didn't exist yet. There was no sickness there at all. When God created the earth, that was not what he intended for this world. Amen? He said it was very good. There was no sickness on earth then. And then in Genesis two fifteen through 17, the question that we have to ask then, if there was no sickness when, when God created the earth... And when he created man and he created everything on earth, there was no sickness then. Obviously, there's sickness now, and there's death now. So we have to ask ourselves, well, when did that all begin? And if it didn't happen in the beginning, if it wasn't at the, at the start, when did it begin? And it happens right here in Genesis two fifteen through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it, for in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There was no sin, and there was no death, there was no sickness until the fall, until Adam partake of that tree. And and the truth is, all you guys out there that want to blame the women, actually it didn't happen when Eve ate from the fruit, it was when man ate from the fruit. But at that moment that Adam ate from the fruit of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil, that's when sin and death crept into our lives. That's when it all began matter of fact, in Genesis 3, 1 through 5, it says, Now the serpent, serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said the, to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We made of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you, shall not, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So now, not only do we know how sickness and death get introduced, but based on that scripture, we know why it got introduced as well. It was from the beginning, Satan began to manipulate, Satan began to lie, Satan began to deceive, and when he did so, that is when sickness was introduced. That is when it all all happened. I want you to know as we look at this morning, as we look at where sickness comes from and does God use it to to, to guide people or to punish people is that sickness never came from God. Sickness was never intended. It was by the enemy completely. Adam and Eve had had one job, to not eat from that tree. And that's when it all came in because they were deceived by Satan. And on a side note, because every time I read this, I always used to think, why the tree? I mean, God, this just doesn't make sense. I mean, if we didn't have the tree, there would be no fall. I mean, this seems like the one thing that if God would have removed, we wouldn't be in this situation. But the reality is is that if there were no tree, if there were no choice, then there would be no relationship. I mean, you can't have a relationship with a robot, with something that's designed to do only one thing. God could have said that there would be no sin, that you will never do these things, and that you're going to love me, and you have no other choice. But God doesn't want, he doesn't want slaves. He wants people to, to have a relationship with Him. I mean, we see it all the time when, when when people are kidnapping other people and trying to force them to love them. Even if they can get them to say the words they want to say, those people that are, that are enslaved don't really love. That's not a relationship. That's what God wants. That's why there was a choice. He wanted there to be a real relationship with us. And then I find that the reality of it is, is that we weren't even supposed to know about good and evil. We weren't even supposed to know about evil, that it existed. In Genesis 3.22 it says, And the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life, and eat and live forever. First thing I want to notice there is is that before that we didn't know good and evil, but when we did, we we were never intended to even know what this stuff was. We were never intended to live like this God had set it up so we couldn't. And then when when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the garden of good and evil, they had this knowledge, sin and sickness began to creep in, and then God kicks them out of the garden. And I'm like, man, that's harsh, God. That seems, I mean, that seems pretty rough, but the truth is it was God's mercy when he did that. Because he says, lest they stay in the garden, eat of the tree of life, and be stuck like that forever. God removed Adam and Eve from the garden and put an angel to guard over the gate so that way that we wouldn't be stuck that way because God had already had a plan in motion. The truth is is that God knew this was going to happen. And God already had a plan in motion to redeem mankind from what just happened so that we could be made whole, that we could be made pure, that we could actually live without sickness right now. I believe right now that that we can live without sickness now. And definitely when we go to heaven, all tears will be wiped away. There will be no sickness or pain and death in heaven. Amen? the reason I know that is because right here in twenty 21.4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall they be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is God's heaven. This is the place that he's created for us. If sickness was God's will, if sickness was God's idea, if sickness was what God wanted, don't you think it would be in heaven too? But the reality is, it is, not this is not what God wants for us. It's not what He wants on this Earth either. There's no sickness in heaven, no sorrow. and if it, was, if it was part of God's plan, why wouldn't it be there? The truth is is that we can have a little bit of heaven on Earth right now as well, if we put our faith and trust in Him. So as we know that, as we looked at it and, and we see that it's not part of God's plan, it's not part of his design, but like I said, the reality is, is there is sickness in the earth. And it has to come from somewhere. So let's look at a few scriptures where it actually begins to point out where sickness does come from. And in Luke 13, 10 through 13, it says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years, and she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Amen. It says that there was a woman who had, been, had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. Like I said, sickness comes from somewhere, and the scripture begins to point it out. Here, this woman had a spirit of sickness over her. This sickness that she had was associated with an evil spirit. It was not, a, it wasn't, when, when Jesus said, come over here, I'm getting ready to, to lay hands on you and make you straight, he didn't go, you know, if you'd have really lived your life a little bit better, this wouldn't have happened. Or, you know what, I would heal you right now, but I, I just need you to straighten a few things out. Why don't you go home, live for a couple weeks and show me that you're going to live right, and then we'll go ahead and heal you. Is that in your guys' Bible? That part's not in my Bible, because he just called her over, he said, let me heal you. He said there was a spirit that was in her life that was causing this. Sickness has always been a tool of the enemy. Sickness has always been a tool. It's not a, it's not a tool of God. It's something that the devil wants to, to oppress you with, to hold you down with. And I think it's something that as we, as we get sick and we hurt, I think it's one of his greatest tools because we begin to blame the wrong person. Have you ever heard somebody, particularly if they don't have a close relationship with God, when something happens, they begin to blame God. God, why are you doing this to me? It's one of the greatest tools of the enemy because it it makes people hate God when it's actually the devil doing them. I remember when my father got sick, he got pancreatic cancer, and he ultimately died from from pancreatic cancer in his, his, his 50s. And my sister was so angry, she couldn't understand why God was doing this to him. But the reality was it wasn't God doing that to him. There was a devil out there who was trying to harm him. Now I thank God that I I spoke to my father and I know that he was saved. And I know that I'm going to see him again someday. And I don't know how anybody goes through any of this stuff without that hope inside of them. And how that doesn't rip them apart. But the truth is is that I'm going to see him again. And I tell you what, he doesn't have cancer right now. But the truth is, is I also believe that if he would have grabbed hold of it by faith, he could have been healed on earth, here as well. But that's neither here nor there. The point is is that it wasn't God that did it to him. There's a devil in this world. There's an enemy. And the interesting thing when you look at this, especially if you listen to some scholars, scholars as they talk about this, not only did this disease physically cause her pain and harm, but she was bent over for 18 years and the image that we're seeing there is that the devil had bent her over. She couldn't even raise her head, her eyes to heaven. She could no longer physically look to God. And so many people let sickness do this to them. They get sick and they, they let it keep them from looking to God and, and said, just blame him. But Jesus called to her. He says, come here. Woman, you are freed from your discipline. Jesus called to her. And I want you to know that Jesus is calling to you right now to be freed from whatever is ailing you. As we continue on with that same story, it says, But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be. Can you believe that? Right. This woman just got freed from something that she'd been bound for 18 years. And he's like, you couldn't have done it yesterday. You couldn't have wait till tomorrow. He says he was Indignant. And he said to the people, "There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on these days, come on these days, and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day." Then the Lord answered him, "You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away?" <laughs> There's another verse. Sorry, I'm like, where's the part that I wanted to talk about? Forgot it, it's on the next page. <laughs> it says, "And ought not this woman a, daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. He comes right on first he says it was an evil spirit, right? Then he comes right on and says it. This woman has been daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years. It wasn't God that bound this woman. It wasn't God that made her sick. It was Satan working in her life. You see, these, these people they were so caught up in religiosity and, and, and rules, and they couldn't see that God was moving, that God was doing a work. Amen. And this isn't the only Sabbath that Jesus healed. Jesus turned the world upside down. When it began, You know what, you guys are so caught up in your, your rituals. You're, you're not seeing what God wants to do. He wants to touch lives. He wants to heal people. He wants to redeem people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in Mark three one four 4 is another, another uh, Sabbath. It says, again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here, and he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were always silent. Because they couldn't answer that question, because if they did, they would be shown to be the hypocrites that they were. And the reality is, is that religious religion is always accusing. All religion is accusing. All religion is about what you're doing wrong and how you're failing and how you're not living up and how you're not meeting expectations. But Jesus is about love. It's always about love. Isn't that, isn't that a controlling spirit? People who want to control use that kind of technique. That's probably a fact. But I tell you what, we'll talk about it after the service because you're derailing me something crazy right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it says uh the reality is is that that we do it today as well we we do the same thing and we point and we look and we 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 look at people that are having a hard time and i began to think oh man something must be going on in their life and that's why that's why they're they're messing up i remember once uh Pastor Mike's wife uh, had, when we first started going to the church there, she had some pretty bad acne, and somebody actually came and told Pastor Mike that the reason why she has acne is because she's sinning. The reason why she's dealing with this, I'm like, why, why would somebody say that? Why would some? I mean, because our our views are skewed of what's actually going on. And we begin to point, we do the same thing so often. That's one thing I think we have to be careful is when we read the scriptures, we see how they're messing up and doing these things, and we get this haughty attitude of, oh, I would never do that. But if you think about it for a second, we all do it just as much as anybody else. But we can learn from the scriptures, and we can learn and say, you know what, I'm not going to be that person. Amen? Then in Acts 10.38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is another scripture we see that those who need healing, those who are in need of that, are being oppressed by the devil. You never see in the scriptures that God was teaching them a lesson. You never, I don't even know where people get that idea, because it's nowhere to be found. Actually, that's not true. There's going to be a couple of scriptures we're going to look at where people have misconstrued what's going on. But if you look at the scriptures analytically and actually look at what's being said, you can't find that that God has made anybody sick. So let's keep on going here. And Matthew 12, 22 through 28... It says, Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed them so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he has divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, and the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is Jesus saying, basically, a kingdom divided is going to fall. He's saying that... that, that if I were to cast out demons, I would be going, and I was of Satan's rule, I'd be going against myself. I would be basically crumbling the foundation that I'm trying to build. It would be like if we were trying to build the church here, but then we, we, we all stood outside and told people how bad the place was, and we didn't think they wanted to come here. We'd be working against ourselves. And that's the same thing that, that we can look at when we look at healing. If, if healing or if sickness where God's plan, if sickness were one of his tools, wouldn't healing somebody be kind of working against what God was trying to accomplish? If God was using sickness to teach you a lesson, or if God was using to, start to teach all these people that Jesus healed a lesson, then Jesus was the worst disciple ever because he just went about opposing God every step of the way, every time that he healed somebody. Jesus is saying, hey, let's use a little common sense. I want you to take a step back and listen to what you're trying to tell me, that I'm casting out demons by Beelzebul, by the power of Satan. Just think about what you're saying for a second. That doesn't make any sense at all. That's, that's just, that would be a ridiculous and just far-fetched strategy of, of, of the enemy. Why would he work against himself? So this is just more proof that God doesn't use sickness. And I, I know I'm sounding a little, sounding like I'm beating a, a dead horse a little bit, but it's something I want to drive home. God does not use sickness as a tool. He never has, and He never will, because it's, it's the domain of the enemy. In Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, and he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear and death were subject to lifelong slavery. You know, the power of death is the devil's. So says right here, the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Right now, the one who is causing death on this earth, the one who has the power of death, is the devil. It's not God causing it. It's not him him, him trying to force it on us. Jesus came to set us free from that. That's what he's saying right here. He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he became like us, He became a man like us, and died through death, that he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Jesus came to destroy death, not to, to continue it on in our lives. And it says... And to deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. That's an interesting phrase as well. Because people are in bondage to sin for fear of what's going to happen. And, matter of fact, did you know that it's actually possible to be scared to death? That's a real thing. We say it all the time, oh, it scared me to death. Or, even worse, they literally scared me to death. No, they didn't. That's not how you use the word literally. That's another rant I can get on stupid living languages. Did you know that they've actually officially said that the word literally now in, in the definition because we have a living language because of the way it's been used for so long that literally now actually means figuratively? That's actually how it's defined. doesn't make any sense to me. frustrates me. But in, so January 17th, 1994, in Northridge, Los Angeles, there was an earthquake and over 100 Californians, over 100 Californians literally died of fright, according to Robert Kloner, a cardiologist at the Good Samaritan Hospital in L.A. His research has shown that excessive fear can cause sudden death, and in many cases, the terrorized brain triggers the release of a mix of chemicals so potent it causes the heart to contract so fiercely it never relaxes again. In a Cleveland study, coroner studied the hearts of 15 assault victims who died even though their assailants had not wounded them badly enough to fatally injure their internal organs. And Charles Hish, now Chief Medical Officer of New York, determined that 11 of the 15 had torn fibers and lesions in their hearts, most likely caused by mortal fear. And then a neurologist, Martin A. Samuels, of Harvard Medical School in Boston, who has done research in this area, tells of his, of his cat coming across a field mouse, and the cat simply put its paws on the mouse's tail, batted it about a bit, and within 20 minutes the mouse died, despite having no serious injuries. It says animals commonly drop dead under these circumstances. Fear... Is powerful. And fear can actually, literally, we just read that it's been shown, if you're that scared, you can actually cause death in your life. And the truth is, is fear is equally dangerous to a person's spiritual life as well. And that is why God said that, that, that I have not given you a spirit of fear, but a, but a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. Because we're not supposed to live afraid. The, Jesus came that that fear would go away. That we're not under bondage to death anymore. We're completely free from that. And one day, death will be completely gone as well. says so that's the last enemy to be placed as a footstool under his feet. 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, For our sick he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in 1 John 4.17 it says, By this love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. God loves us. He sent his son to die for us, to make us perfected in him. And he has made us right with him. We are righteous in him. Love is Love is perfected with us that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. I want you to know that when Jesus went to the cross for you, he made you perfect. He made you pure. He made you holy. Some of you aren't living that way yet because sometimes it takes a little while for our body to catch up what has actually been done in our spirit. But as far as you are concerned, as far as God is concerned, when he looks down at you, he sees Jesus because it's his spirit inside of you. You've been, so if, he, if that's the case, then there's no reason for God to punish you because the punishment has been taken up in his son. And even if he were going to do that, how many of you guys would like? Man, my kid just will not clean their room. I mean, I'm, getting, I'm getting tired of they won't. You know what? I'm going to give them cancer. That'll teach them. Has anybody ever had a thought like that? Matter of fact, I know with my kids, after a while, I, I, it begins to hurt to punish. I get so tired of doing. It. I just want them to behave so I can stop disciplining them. I know you kids think I'm crazy, but that's how we feel. Just knock it off so we can stop grounding you. God's no different. If that's how we are as parents, do you think that God's not going to be a better parent than we are? The perfect sacrifice of Jesus made us holy and without blame, and Christ lives in us and through us, and God has no reason to punish us because in his Son we are righteous, we are holy, and we have confidence because of that. Isn't that good news that you can have confidence? We don't have to wonder if we're saved. We don't have to wonder if we're going. If our faith is placed in Jesus, then we are saved. We are going to heaven. We are whole. We are pure. And we can have confidence. There's no confusion. And John nine one five. this is, a, we're going to go through now a couple of scriptures where people have said, wait a minute. And you're probably thinking, wait a minute, Pastor Wayne, you said there's no scriptures that shows that, that God uses, uh, uses sickness, but I, I can think of a couple. And we're going to deal with those right now today, because I think they're important to look at. And the first one is, is John 9, 1 through 5. It says, that as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am in the light of the world. Now when you read this, as, as did I, when I read it as it's written, it says, Jesus answered, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That sounds pretty clear that God is using sickness in him, right? Is that how that reads to you? That's how it reads to me. It says that it wasn't him that sinned. It wasn't, it wasn't his parents that sinned, but God wanted to make a point. So it says, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's why this man was born blind. And people will use this argument as, no, God does cause sickness. Look at it. Look at it right here. It says that God used sickness so that God could heal him and show that he was at work. Now, I've looked at different scholars who have read this because this is one that, as, as I believe, that God doesn't cause sickness, and this is one that can throw a wrench in that argument. You're like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. And the reality is, is that this is the only scripture that, that comes out and says it like this. And uh, if that's the case, we have one scripture that says it like this, but the rest of the Bible is from a completely different viewpoint, then the only conclusion that we can come to is that we're misunderstanding the one that's out of order, the one that's the, the outlier. Now, how many of you guys know that in the original Greek that the Bible was written, one, it's all uppercase letters and there's no punctuation? And we put in punctuation later, so it's easier for us to read. We put in the, we put in the, the verse number, so it's easy for us to look stuff up, and we change it. And I want you to read this again, but I'm going to change where the commas and the periods are. We'll read the same thing. And Jesus answered, it was not this man that sinned or his parents. Instead of putting a comma, we're going to put a period there. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, full stop but that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. You see, we can change. People have changed how the the scriptures are, are worded to how they best understand it. But when we look at it, if it doesn't align with the rest of the Scriptures, there must be something that we're misunderstanding. And in this case, there was no punctuation. The, the people that translated it put that punctuation in. Now, I'm not the one that made this up. There's much people that are much smarter than me that have done the research and done those things. But I agree with what they're saying here. It's a completely different statement if you just change where that was. It says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents... But that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming. It wasn't God that made that man blind, but God healed him, amen? What about the one, the people look at uh, Paul, that's the other big one, is that they say Paul had a thorn in his flesh. And many people... Would, would talk, well, let's just read the scripture first. Second Corinthians twelve seven through 10 it says, So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There are many people who say that Paul had an, something wrong with his eyes. He had a sickness in his eyes. And this is what is being talked about here. This thorn in his flesh was this some sickness that he had in his eyes. And it says that, that God wouldn't heal him, so Paul didn't get all puffed up. So Paul, Paul's getting all these great revelations. God's speaking to him. He's a writer of two-thirds of the New Testament. And just so he didn't get too proud of himself, God's like, eh, I'm going to make you a little bit blind. Because the truth is, is that when we look at this, how easy would it have been for Paul to become egotistical with all that was being done with him? The problem with, 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 with people is that that's the way we kind of get sometimes. But he says that, as he goes on in verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For I am weak, and then I am strong. See, Paul was was saying that you know what? Even though I have these problems, even though I have, and this is a, an attitude I think we should all take. But he says, even though I have these problems, I'm content with whatever is going on because in Christ I am strong. This is actually the uh, the you know the the, the children's song. Uh, he, he, I am weak, but He is strong. This is what they misquote this from. It actually doesn't say for for when I am weak He is strong. It says for when I am weak, then I. And what that's saying is that in areas that I am weak, I stop relying on myself and I rely on God and he is strong in me. But to look at this, this whole idea that he had a thorn in his flesh and it was some sort of sickness, this is where people think that it says eye sickness. Galatians 4.15 What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So people read this verse and say, oh, he has a thorn in his flesh. And and here he's saying that they would have given him his eyes. It must be that he had an eye problem. He had an eye sickness. He had blind. I don't know what's going on. He need glasses. I don't know. But he had some sort of eye sickness. So this is why people uh, have made this claim. But this is, when, when I read this, we have to look at a couple of things. And we're going to look at the next verse. We're going to use the Bible to interpret the Bible because that's real important. But also at this one, this is just like saying, you know, I would, I would have given him my left leg. You know, I would have given him my right arm. It's not saying that I would actually cut off my arm. What it's saying is it's an extreme act of devotion. And we say this all the time. Not so much anymore, but it used to be said all the time. I would have given him my, my left leg. And we're just doing an, an act of love. We're demonstrating all Paul is saying is that you guys loved me, and you would have done anything for me, even something as silly as gouging out your eye it didn 't mean that he was sick. So what did he mean by a thorn in the flesh then Because he obviously talked about that a couple of scriptures later. He says he was given uh, given me in the flesh, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. So where does that come from? What does that mean? And I think we can figure out what that word means if we go and look at some scriptures, particularly in the Old Testament, that use that exact same phrasing, which Paul would have been familiar with. Numbers 33:55 it says, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them in whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. Here we see that phrase again: thorns in your sides. And what is he referring to? Not eye sickness. He's referring to people. But you do not drive out of the inhabitants of the land; those inhabitants will be remain as thorns in your sides. Joshua twenty-three thirteen. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from of this. So you perish from off this ground that the Lord your God has given you. Once again, we see the thorn uh, analogy being used and it's referring to people. And in Judges 2, 3, So now I say I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare for you. I will not drive them out before you. And once again, thorns in the side is referring to people. Paul's not talking about some sickness he has thorn thorns. He's talking about persecution. The enemy is sending people against him. And we know that as we go ahead and continue to read, if you want to go ahead and continue reading in that scripture and what he's talking about, what is coming against him. In fact, I think that's what he's talking about here. He says that I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's talking about when people are coming against him and causing him problems. It's not his eyes. So I've looked at the two major scriptures that people use that talk about saying that, no, God uses sickness. And I don't believe that's what those scriptures are indicating at all. And every other scripture in the Bible refers to sickness coming from from spirits or Satan or all those different things. It's not God that uses sickness in our life. He is not the author of sickness. The devil is. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. This perfectly describes the, the, the purpose of the devil and of Jesus in our lives. The devil comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. If it is causing you calamity, if he is causing you pain, if it's you causing you hardship, the devil sent it to hurt you. The devil sent it to push you actually away from God. But Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. I want you to know right now that, that sickness is not included in an abundant life. Any of you that have health problems know that when you're not feeling healthy, you're not feeling well, your life is not going all great and according to plan. It's a, it's a, it's a hardship. It, it sucks. But its that's not what God wants for you. God wants so much more for you. He wants you to have life and have it abundantly. And then we'll go ahead and... And in here, in James one seventeen. it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift that we have in our life comes from God. And by opposite, uh, looking at it the opposite way, every bad thing that happens in our life, every evil thing that happens in our life, is, is a scheme of the enemy to try to pull you away from God. And I'm not saying that God won't use those situations in your life. When the enemy comes against you and you get sick, I believe that God will use those situations in our lives to make us stronger. God will use those situations to help to grow your faith. God will use those situations, just like with that man that was born blind. The devil intended that man to be blind and be harmed his entire life, but God used it to show his power. God will take what the enemy meant to be harmful in your life and turn it around for your good, but never for one second believe that God sent that evil thing in your life. Because that's not what he does. That's not who he is. He's not the author of sickness. The devil is. And it says, He's coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You know, the greatest part about God is that he never changes. He's not a a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he would change his mind. He says there's no variation or shifting shadows due to change. When we read the scripture and we see what God's doing, we can know who he is. Jesus said that I I only do what I see the Father doing. And if that's the case, then we know that whatever Jesus did was the will of the Father, because that's all Jesus did was the will of the Father. And every time someone came to him to be healed... Jesus healed them. Not once did he turn them away. Not once did he say, you know what, you've got to get your life squared away. Not once did he push. As long as they come up to him in faith and believe that he would touch them, he healed every single one. From the least to the greatest, from the worst to the best. And that's what he wants for our lives as well. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet.